Uh, I was actually kind of curious how many wives we were going to go through with this story. <laughs> I thought it would be more, to be honest. I did. <laughs> He's certainly a prodigal son, though, right? Like, this is clearly one of those stories of you never knew how good you had it until it was gone, and then you got to return home for forgiveness, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how this guy... I couldn't afford more than one wife, and this guy can't afford not to have wives? Or I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our our boy Wellington, let's start with this. He's a mixed race. He's African-American, right? So at this point in time in Americans' past, if you had any uh, black blood in you, you were considered black, right? Like you, you were denied your privileges, that sort of thing. And we're in the South, right, North Carolina. And we've got a wife that's quite good to us, right, Aunt Millie? And they talk about how, ooh, even when she does laundry, like, like, like there's, so, there's an appeal to her, except she makes him work. <laughs> Which I don't understand is like a bad thing of this man has worked his whole life and now he just thinks because slavery's over, he doesn't have to work at all anymore. Like he gets a free pass. It's very odd, his mentality of how it must have switched, or I, I think it must have switched. Well, he's one of those people that the grass is greener on the other side. Right. And he was particularly susceptible to the northern illusion. Right. If we view the guy that came down, I don't know if you viewed it this way, but he's kind of like, in my view, like the carpetbagger in terms of trying to come down, steal the resources. You know, they sold this dream about how, oh, you know, up north, you get paid twice as much. You can get married to white women and get their privilege, basically. And I don't know if it's that he wanted another wife. It's that he wanted like a white wife because he wanted that that white privilege. He wanted to pay more. He wanted to live a life of of luxury, if you will. And I think that's what mm. drove him more so than than anything. Yeah, I was thinking about that as you were talking, and the word luxury was kind of going through my brain. And then you said it, and it actually, I I don't like that word. Because it implies that he wants something beyond what he's had. And maybe he does. Maybe maybe that is the right word. But do you think maybe Wellington just wants better, not necessarily luxury? He wants just equal to what he's seen other people have. And he thinks that maybe this is his opportunity to have it. I mean, anything better would be considered luxury, I guess, to him. I don't know. I, I like your question. But when... When I'm looking at our boy Wellington's relationships, like like we're, we're, we're starting off with Aunt Millie, who makes him work, which he doesn't like, right? He, he wants the, the easier lifestyle. And basically, you know, to fast forward, he goes and sees the lawyer and says like, hey, is, is half of what <laughs> we make mine? And that's where we learn all the stuff about the law. And, and I didn't look up any of it, but I do know that if, if you didn't know Chestnut, the author, he, I think he did have some like law background and stuff like that. He did live in Ohio. He did live in North Carolina. So I'm like, okay, you know, he's, he's drawing from these things that he sees and knows. I'm just kind of going along with it. Right. And, and ultimately he's going to head up North, right? He's, he's going to steal half of his wife's, which is again, I'm going to put in quotes because it's like, he like conveniently chooses when it's his wife so that he can have half. And then conveniently it's not his wife to allow him to just leave and not have to worry about divorce and stuff like that. Like he's definitely someone that bends things to suit his needs is what I would say. As the story progresses, we definitely see that he's, he's being groomed to be somebody you don't like, because I think it's not necessarily a hero's journey, 
but it is a journey of discovery and discovery oneself. And Wellington is seeing opportunity here. He's skirting the laws. I don't know if he's so much as bending them even. He's kind of navigating the this new world that's been opened up to him because he's learning, and that's important. This knowledge is power now, and it's allowed him to say, hmm, I can have things better, and I want better. And if, if you want to say that's luxury, that's fine. That's luxury to him. Anything is going to be luxury to him. And going north, being lured there by these grandeur promises is something I think he has to find out for himself. Well, and, and that word right there, power, right? Like that's a tricky word because, you know, traditionally the structure of power goes to the oppressors in this situation, which is not Wellington and it's not his wife, right? And we've talked about uh, one of our favorite authors, Zora Neale Hurston. She writes about how the women were the most oppressed, right? Because the white man looks down and treats the, the, the black man poorly and the black man treated his wife poorly right and we see that in this story the way it like it kind of rolls downhill but you even see like the idea of education and money as power too in this right because the 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 black lawyer essentially had a little bit more power than others but you saw even like in the north when you had like the african-american lawyer there too they were like well we go to him because we don't have much money but when we have money we go to the white lawyer because they probably get a little bit more favor from the judge Right, which we know the judge was definitely from the oppressing class, right? So it's it's this way the power cascades down through society that is even kind of like it's sprinkled throughout the story, which, which I think is masterfully done. Um, can I ask you a quick question before we move into the North Ohio, if you will, which is where like you know the author is from? What did you think about how Wellington treated the relationship? One of the things that I was exploring, I'd love to get your thoughts on this is is what makes a relationship equal? Like if we're going to talk about power or how one should contribute to a relationship, what makes a good relationship and what makes a relationship equal from these two parties? I think that's a very difficult question, and I'm going to go talk to my wife uh, and get an answer for you, and I'll be back <laughs> talk to the therapist. Um, I would say for me personally, communication is an open two-way street. That, that is clutch for any relationship to be, quote, equal. Now, what do you mean equal, though? Is it 50-50? Is it 100-100? But also, I think that it has to be mutual respect for each other and that each person wants the other one to just do better in life, have better life. I work hard for my family. Yeah, do I like to have nice things for myself? Sure. But I work hard so that I can help my wife pay for things. I work hard so I can take my niece out to the movies and stuff. I I, I work hard for them as much, if not more, than myself. And so if both parties are doing that, then I think it shows equal respect uh, and, and shows inequality in that relationship. Uh, and then last would be honesty. You just got to be honest with each other about what makes you happy. What What is this relationship going to be? What does it mean to each other? And as modern couple therapists look at relationships, there's basically three relationships. There's a V, there's an A, and there's an H. And all of those have different kind of interdependencies with each other. And I think that Wellington here, he is in an always in an A relationship. He's leaning heavily on these women to support him because, as you said, he he might be a little bit lazy. <laughs> well, I think, um, and you're 100 right for calling me out that that's a loaded question. I, obviously, I did that on purpose. You know, some people say relationships are 50 50, 
which, you know, I guess I kind of repeated for a long time. And then I heard this quote where someone said, no, relationships aren't 50, 50, they're, they're a hundred zero where you're a hundred percent dedicated to pushing the other person to be better. And I think you mentioned that very briefly in your responses, right? If you look at Aunt Millie, she's working hard for the relationship. She's pushing him. She's saving money. She's hard with him. She, that being for the other person doesn't mean always being soft and giving in to them, right? Sometimes it is pushing them to be the better person. And, and, you know, Wellington's struggling with that. He doesn't think about Millie the same way as instead. He just thinks about how he can take, how he can get from her. And I think, I think that is on some level a problem, probably for most relationships. This is one of the things that I thought about with this story. If we also had North. That, oh, go ahead. Yeah. And we think about that of Wellington. We were being kind of groomed again to not like him as much because we want to see where this story and his, his evolution goes. But is is Wellington just emulating what he's seen from other people, maybe his parents, his grandparents, or the, 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 the other people of different races in the South? He's seen these relationships and how they work, and he's seen people take advantage of other people, not necessarily spouse relationships, but just friendships, own slave owners and slaves, and all kinds of types of relationships. Very few of them are equal 100% fair. <laughs> so I don't know if we should, you know, quote, kind of blame him for him doing this. If you are looking poorly upon Wellington, is he just doing the norm? Should he be doing the norm? No, but he is doing the norm. Mm, that's a really good point. It's a really good point. Um, I was about to move to the north, but I guess one more thing, we're just going to keep sticking here in the, in the south here. Some, something that I noticed in this story, too, is that when the wife left the house, she took the lantern and the light and went away, right? And she's going to church, right, which is another sim sign with, with the light. And he stays back in the darkness, right? And he won't even bring the lantern with him. And when he gets onto the train, they talk about him being in the dark shadows and stuff like that. Even when the conductor comes along asking him, the questions about, you know, is he going to pay his way and stuff like that. When the conductor leaves, the narrative specifically calls out about how light is taken away from him. So I think on some level, Chestnut is shining a light, pun intended, on perhaps some of the, the, the way that Wellington's behaving impacts others. And I don't think he's taking that into consideration because he only cares about what's impacting him. So yes, there's shared trauma, but I, I do think that there is something that is you know, lights being shined on the fact that he's not thinking about others. Yes, he is a selfish individual. And if you keep that light theme in mind as you read through this story, it is a reoccurring theme throughout the entire uh, the entire story, which is kind of cool because once you see it and pick up on it, it is very, very prevalent. And I think it helps add some light and character to Wellington. Right. Right. So we, so, we, okay. So now we finally head up North, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to me, to me, Br'er, Sam Williams, which, you know, Br'er, a short a shortening of brother, if you will. Uh, but we start to see the, the differences in how the South and the North address each other, even with Mr. Versus, you know, brother and sort of thing. And you also see the differences in their work ethic, right? In terms of well, work ethic isn't the right term. Industry is probably a better term where we see how we have factories and we have production happening in the North, which was, was there first before it started coming further south, right? And, and you start to see the electric cars, right? And our first time riding the car, and we think we can get used to riding this car as opposed to a horse. And you start to see some differences between the north and the south. And it's like, okay, is what this, 
was it a professor? I, I can't remember what the guy's title was that that sold the vision, the snake oil, soil sale, snake oil salesman in the beginning. Is his promise of how different the North is really going to be true? Because already we see a lot of differences because there was a pretty big quality and difference of life between the North and the South at this point in time. When we get there, it appears that, yes, the illusion is true and that the North is better. They have electricity and electric cars and people treat each other with respect and give them titles. It, it has that allure that he had been hoping for. And then as we get deeper underneath, we start to peel back the layers. We shatter that illusion and realize that it is just that, that the, the North isn't all that much better. It's different. It is different. And if we look at the North versus South, there are a lot of differences. But just because the North proclaims that they were going to be treating people better or, you know, got rid of slavery first, it doesn't necessarily mean it translates into reality for the people that it's going to be affecting or doesn't affect for that matter. Yeah, I like that phrase you use there with the shatter, like the illusion, because it's kind of like point like the, the this short story is split into four parts, right? Part two is the illusion, right? This is what the devil is selling you, quote unquote, where, you know, oh my gosh, I can marry a white woman, this, this Irish Katie Flanagan, and I can work for this guy and I get paid just for doing stuff that I kind of know how to do. I just told him I knew how to do it. They gave it a shot. Like it's such a, <laughs> it's such a relief, I think, to him to, to feel that what he came here for was, was real. And then there's like the story split in half, at least in parts, not in word count, but split in half where that's when the, the illusion shatters to your point, right? Because uh, in part three, that's where they go through the divorce or well, before they get to the divorce though, right? Like he's freeloading off of her. She stops working. She starts yeah. drinking, doing all <laughs> the things to him that he was doing to Aunt Millie back home, right? So he's getting like the taste of his own medicine. He's the one that's having to work hard. He doesn't like it, right? And- I'm going to read this quote because I think earlier we were talking about power and, and where does the oppressing power come from and stuff like that. I want to read this quote. He had believed that all men were equal in this favored locality, but he discovered more degrees of inequality than he had ever perceived at the South. A colored man might be as good as a white man in theory, but neither of them was of any special consequence without money or talent or position. Right. So, <laughs> so here we're, 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 hit, we're hitting that nail on the head, right? Like it's not just the race. It's the race was used as a tool to gain the position, to gain the money, to gain the, the, the talent, well, not talent, but they, 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 well, talent in the sense that they kept knowledge from being shared freely, right? They, they deprived them of the ability to get certain, certain skills, right. By keeping them in the lower class. Um, and that's what, that's what we're talking about with this power is, is the equal opportunity isn't there for them. For me, this is the most important piece of the story that I could pull out. Historically, if you look at the story, Chestnut is telling a story, I think that was very common of the illusions of the North for people that had been former slaves. And when they got to the North, it, it was shattered. It wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. However, I think that this quote that you gave us is, for me, the biggest nugget out of the whole story that still rings true to this day, that money, talent, and positions of power, jobs, uh, po politics, whatever it is, 
those are the things that matter. And he's trying to say these things are dangerous because they make us unequal no matter what. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter your religion. None of those things matter. Money, your talent, and your position of power is what matters. And he said, we got to be careful of that. Mm, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Because when he gets put into a position where he's supposed to be the provider for Katie Flanagan, he starts to, I think, get a taste of his own medicine and realize that when we talked about relationship, what should you give in a relationship? He's starting to see how his actions can harm others. Like he, he can harm Aunt Millie and take advantage of her, I, th I think, on some level, right? And well, arguably, maybe not because he's, he's dying to go back home. But he's this time, instead of paying his way up north, he, he sees how the north to that point, nobody does anything for free. Right. There might be more more opportunity in the sense of greater industry, like more modern industry here, but you got to pay for everything here. And perhaps that speaks a little bit to that, that kind of like a rural versus city discussion, south versus north, too. You hear about southern hospitality where people will do things uh, out of social favor, social currency in the south. But in the north, the only currency is, is, is Uncle Ben's currency. Right. And he starts to have he starts to lose it all, essentially. And the, when he has to return home, he can't rely on that currency to get back home. He can't rely on the the, friend, the the courage and friendship of people who helped him get there. He got to walk, right? And, and and after, gosh, what was it, like 15, was it, was it weeks? Was over it months a year. Of walk? Yeah, yeah, it was, like it was 15 months, was it? Okay. There's a large amount of walking. <laughs> a large. Walk. That's a long time to walk. <laughs> he walked real slow. <laughs> right. Uh, without a lamp. <laughs> no, no light here, right? <laughs> In the darkness. Yeah. Stumbling his way around, not being able to know where he's going. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. But, but I think there, there's a quote here where it says, instead of the beautiful northern life he had dreamed of, he found himself stranded, penniless, in a strange land among people whose sympathy he had forfeited, with no one to lean upon and no refuge from the storms of life. So... You can't really, to me, I, I've always agreed with this, that you can't look at life the way that it's portrayed in the North of just a financial transaction. Uh, you can't look at what you can always get from people either. That, that, that Southern hospitality, the idea of of looking out for others with, with maybe, maybe it is expecting others to look out for you too. There's a social bond that's created there that is kind of lacking with just a straight financial uh, ex exchange that seems to be portrayed in the North here. And that brings us to another point, I think, of the story, which is great, is that neither one is good and neither one is bad. It needs to be a combination of both. There needs to be a marriage, so to speak. We're talking about relationships. <laughs> there needs to be a marriage of these two concepts in equality in order to maybe find happiness. I don't know, because we now know that Wellington goes back home and basically begs for forgiveness in a way to try to get Aunt Millie back and... I guess she takes him back and forgives him. And that's an, uh, maybe a third point of the story is that even if you make mistakes, you, you should be, be for you, you can be willing to be forgiven if that's yeah, in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think there, there's kind of two ways you can kind of take that. ending. you can kind of just write it off as like sentimental. Oh, this is like Charles Dickens, you know, like it's so unrealistic type of thing, but you can also look at it as like that biblical illusion of the prodigal son of needing to be forgiven 
and the idea of love and forgiveness can conquer all wrongdoings, perhaps, right? So whichever way you take it, it is one of those endings that I think I think was necessary on some level to to complete what was was being crafted with the rest of the story. You may not like it, but I think that was is almost necessary from a narrative perspective. The circle of life and the circle of Wellington's redemption, it had to be there. It is un, yeah, as un, unrealistic it is because he comes back. She's she's not taking him back. No, she's either already moved on or she's going to beat him black and blue and kick him out. He's going to be sleeping in the shed. There, there's no way a, a, a strong willed woman like that, especially from the South. I think would tolerate something like mm-hmm. that. No, well, now, and- the, the theft alone, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. there's the, the symbology, well, not symbology, the, the symbolism of her leaving for the church when he left. Right. And when he came back, the church was with her the whole time, right. The priest. And he was arguably kind of courting her in a sense too. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's, it's the happy ending. I know you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, leave us a mm, walking, a person walking emoji down below. It helps the YouTube algorithm that even if you don't know what to say in the comments down below that you enjoyed today's conversation, I'll leave a playlist of other chestnut stories. This isn't our first one from him. Let us know what story you think we should read next. My name's Minuna. Peace. Peace. <laughs>